As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. This is The Athletic's Football GM Podcast. And now, The Athletic's Mike Sando and former NFL Executive of the Year, Randy Muir. Welcome to the Football GM Podcast. Coming out of Week 8, heading into Week 9 already, Mike Sando here, senior writer from The Athletic with Randy Mueller. Good morning, Randy. Morning, Mike. Uh, great. Well, this season is flying by. Can you believe it? We're already week nine. Crazy. We are in week nine, but it's the same thing week after week with Daniel Jones uh, <laughs> and the Giants. By the way, you can find Randy at Randy Mueller underscore. But we've got a, gr- a great show today. We're going to start with Daniel Jones. We got Bill Belichick suddenly being the talk radio maven. Unbelievable. <laughs> Jimmy G, what's up there? Uh, is he going to be in San Francisco? The NFC North, we got a lot to sort through, including a fun exercise involving the Bears, involving the Vikings. We'll talk about those teams. The trade deadline, of course, this week. We'll talk about that. We've got our picks, a little emphasis on the Ravens. Kind of a fun wrinkle there. Ask the GM. We've got a packed show, so pull up a chair. Relax, unless you're a Giants fan. You can be a little nervous after that last night, Randy. Daniel Jones makes... Both team. Well, he may. Who does he make more nervous? His own team or the other team? Probably his own team. Yeah, I think it's just a grab bag. A lot of days, you never know what you're going to get. And I go back to when I saw him at Duke. It was a little bit of the same thing. I, mean, I know everybody tries to pass Daniel Jones off as being this calm, cool, uh, even keel personality, but his game is up and down and <laughs> roller coasterish and anything but calm and cool. So it's crazy. He does look like Eli Manning just physically. Yeah. He does look like oh. him, but. But all, but Eli Manning wasn't good for the first few years of his career right. either. So I, I don't I'm, know. Yeah, I believe Mike that that entered into the equation when they picked yeah. him. Dave Gettleman picked him on the on the assumption or the the thought process that he was getting yeah. Eli 2.0, and and obviously Dave Cutcliffe, who coached Eli, who coached this kid. Yes. Same information. I mean, I'm sure he told him it's the same processor, same type of mindset. You know, and and again, I don't know. I mean. I guess uh, that's all part of it, especially when you're in New York. You need to have a guy who is a steady, you know, uh, competitor, doesn't get affected by the media and all that. But he's yeah. got to have some some quick twitch mental uh, parts as well. And, and we saw him last night make an unbelievable throw to uh, score the touchdown at the end of the game and then him freeze on the next play where the back's in the flat and he delivers the ball 
late and and we're even discussing pass interference if he just throws the ball on time on the two-point conversion they're tied he let's just, talk yeah you know. let's talk though about the unbelievable throw how many how many starting quarterbacks in the league can make that throw wouldn't you say most of them i think it's a it's a great throw but he anticipated him coming open. He pulled the trigger decisively. And I think it's more mental at times with yeah. Daniel Jones than physical. I think he has the physical skills. I don't know if we, we can even argue that. His skill set is there. But there's some kind of triggering mechanism that goes haywire every now and then. One wire pops out of the wall and you wonder, what the heck? You know, The guys have to learn. The young quarterbacks have to learn. It's not their ball. Right. That's everybody's ball. Right. And you have to take care of that ball. And when right. you don't, we take the ball away from you and give it to someone else. So maybe there's some tough love component here. When they're putting up on the screen a graphic comparing the most uh, turnovers through his however many games, 20 games since Ryan Leaf, I mean, that's not what you want up there because, you know, Ryan didn't thought it was his ball too. Yeah. And they kept giving it back to him. And so right. the I other think thing that, is the accuracy part of his game is so inconsistent that in yeah. college you can get away with missing some throws. I mean, you might yep. run 80 plays on uh, Saturday afternoon in a college game, right? Well, these yep. guys might run 58 to 62 plays in the pros. So when guys are open, you've got to hit tight windows and you've got to throw people open. And, and that's the struggle. People underestimate the pinpoint accuracy skill set. And his is off the charts, up and down and all around. And you just can't miss guys that are wide open because you won't get a chance to, to, to regain that. In college, you might come back to that play, you know, the next series or the next quarter. A lot of times in the pros, you don't get to come back to that at all because you may not even have three series in the second half. And throw the, when he's in the grasp, throwing it out there, just, just <laughs> how, what, what the hell, you know, I'll just throw it out there. It gets picked. That, that's amateurish. That, right. that can't be part of the game. They can't do that. They still almost won the game. Right. I mean, yeah. he cost him the game. In he not cost in week them the three. Game. You can't, I mean, uh, year three of your yeah. development at yep. uh, learning your trait, that's hard to do. But yeah, you're right. He cost him the game doing some of that crazy stuff. You just, and your point is valid. It's not their ball. <laughs> they better find a way to keep, keep track of it a little better and value possessions. Again, I always go back to the difference in the games of college games and pro games and the valuing of possessions, whether it's with clock management or with decision-making by play callers or the quarterback are the biggest differences to me. It's a totally different game. Yeah. Well, we could make some excuses for Daniel Jones. Maybe Bill Belichick could make some excuses for Daniel Jones because he did a great job this last week of just shocking everybody, I think, in the league who uh, is used to Bill saying almost nothing uh, about his team. I mean, he, yeah. Bill Belichick is wonderful if you want to ask him about the evolution of the safety position in the league. He'll give you a history lesson. There is nobody right. who knows the game. There's probably nobody who's a better coach. But for him to be talking about the salary cap uh, and the COVID opt-outs, the COVID opt-outs is a real thing. That's affected them. That's affected no the roster, no doubt about it. But to be talking about the salary cap and reminding people that you've won three Super Bowls in the last four years and really went for it. The salary cap, they got $3 million in the quarterback position. The league average is 19 The, the, the Colts have $47 million in cap money at the quarterback position. They got $3 million. Yeah. So this cap, this is bizarre. What were your thoughts when you saw Bill Belichick going on talk radio? Not any program. He went with the Charlie Weiss show, which is probably a pretty safe right. place for him to be. But come on. Well, yeah. I mean, the content itself of what he said is one thing, but I was more struck with why now? What, 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 what's, why are you even saying anything? I mean, we all know your credentials. We all know your record. Are, are we that thin skinned that we have to figure out an excuse for our bad year this year? I mean, come on, just let it go. I mean, everybody has a bad year. You can face it. You don't have Tom Brady now. Uh, we said a long time that this was 
a, a good team. Don't get me wrong. They're a dynasty. But without Tom Brady, there was always doubt as to who would put this thing together. And the argument was, is it Brady? Is it Belichick? How is it? Well, I think Tom Brady was smarter than we give him credit for. He bailed when he, he got, got, got tired of the surrounding cast that Bill threw out there with him. So he couldn't cover it anymore and just got tired of it. They, they have a bad team this year. They're not NFL quality in a lot of ways. And uh, I just feel, I felt, what, what, it was comical that he came out and blamed the salary cap. I mean, salary cap's been in there for in, in place for 20 years. Come on, get over it. Yeah, if he didn't say anything, I think I would have written, uh, I would have had something on my pick six column Monday saying, hey, uh, the Bills kind of went all in this year. They yeah. they got Stephon Diggs, and they're barely beating New England. Right. I mean, New England's in a total reset year. They're only winning the game because Cam Newton fumbles late in the game. I mean, they, they might have still won, but it would have probably gone to overtime. Right. Uh, that We could be talking about, wow, they're actually doing better than they should be yeah. under the circumstances with COVID. None of us would have brought up the cap. But right. uh, the more accurately, Belichick could have said, hey, look, here's how it works in the NFL, okay? When you have one of these amazing quarterbacks, yeah. we win 77% of our games. And <laughs> right. if, you, if, you, if you take the playoffs uh, and you look at all of the, the – quarterbacks that Bill Belichick's been with going to Cleveland, he's 77% win with Brady, okay? He's 46% win with everyone else. Right. That's 17 and 16 with Testaverde. It's 11 and 18 with Kozar. It's 5 and 13 with Bledsoe. That's the way it is for everybody. I mean, look at John Elway's record when Peyton Manning's there. Right. And when he's not there, it's a struggle. Right. That's the reality of largely of what's going on, isn't it? Yeah, without a doubt. And I just think he's, I just found it to be very thin-skinned and self-serving for him to try to throw out some lame excuses. And I just kind of shook my head at it. And I have the most respect for Bill Belichick. He's the greatest ever. But why even say a word? I think this might be one of his best coaching jobs. Unfortunately, yeah. it might have been one of his worst GM jobs to get him to this point. <laughs> you know, yeah. I mean, the yep. GMs in, got the coach in, in excuse mode. I mean, yep. that's crazy. Well, if they only had a quarterback like Jimmy G, right? They, <laughs> they might have a chance bit. to get him back. Yeah. You never know. <laughs> you never know. And that, uh, I do want to talk about Jimmy Garoppolo. Uh, readers of The Athletic should check out Tim Kawakami's column. He, he sort of he, he's a great job as a columnist in the Bay Area, and he, and he you know raised a sensitive subject in his column coming out of out of Week Eight that hey they got to start uh, thinking about maybe. Um, a different quarterback with the 49ers than Garoppolo. Uh, I think you and I are further down that road. I, th- I think the, uh, you know, in San Francisco with the, around the 49ers are dipping their toes in those waters. I think we, we're, we've been swimming in them. Um, is, what, are the, what are the percentage chances in your mind that he should be their quarterback next season? I think there are a lot of reasons, and we could probably make a whole podcast on just the situation there. I think the percentages are, are very low that he returns uh, intact without a minimum of a legitimate competition going on. I think Kyle Shanahan, the head coach, has known this for the last two years. I know they paid Jimmy when he came from New England, and they, they did that because they wanted to serve a, a message clear to everybody that this is our leader. We found our guy. But ever since that happened, it, it's kind of been a little downhill slide in my mind. And I think Kyle is tiring of calling plays to protect his quarterback and protect his offense and he's had to do that in my opinion the last couple years he's just protecting Jimmy because Jimmy is struggling when he gets pressured hey ask Seattle they finally they have the kryptonite for him they just blitz all the time and put him under pressure and he's not the same guy at all it's just 
he looks uncomfortable when pressured. And I understand that's that's why these guys make $30 million a year. It's not for everybody. I always say the pocket is not for everybody. And it's okay if you're not comfortable in there. But in this world, they keep you in the pocket. That's the way the NFL is. Eventually, all these quarterbacks have to function and process in a noisy pocket uh, and, and not be able to get away from it. And you're going to see that with some of these other young quarterbacks still. They're going to have to function and process from the pocket. And in Jimmy G's case, I think he's he reached a level of maybe a, a six and a half or a seven. And, and now he's kind of slid back to a five, five and a half on his processing of information and developing his trade. There's, yep. there's something lacking. You know how they say in soccer, the final third, if we could just finish the final third of, of, of the pitch, you know, well, that's yep. his development as a player. He just hasn't been able to finish the final third to become a top tier guy. Yep. And clearly, you know, some injuries have been a factor this year, but I think most of the quarterbacks that are good and have staying power have a feel for the game and aren't getting hurt a lot. Sometimes they get yeah. hurt, but, but you know, Philip Rivers hasn't missed a game, right? right. And some of these hitter guys, uh, even, you know, Eli Manning or even Kirk Cousins, you know, Matt Ryan, uh, of course, Brady Breeze, they, they they have a feel for the game and they don't end up getting hurt. I've got three years of quarterback tiers balloting on Jimmy, and he's come in 15th, 19th, and 17th. I think that's just a good sort of zoom out here. Yep. What has the league sort of seen him as, right? And that's going to be on his best day, on his best year. You might argue that he's the bottom of the second tier, but he's really at the top of the third tier, which you can win with, but maybe you're not going to win as consistently with. And to your point about Kyle Shanahan and what he thinks about the quarterback, um, you know, I do my little cook index every week that shows how often teams uh, pass the ball early downs, first 28 minutes of the game. It's a little bit of a proxy for how we want to play the game. And if you look at Kyle Shanahan, when he was with Matt Ryan in 2015 and 16, they were 55% pass. That was top eight in the league. That That's leaning towards the pass for a coach who really does value the run game. Right. Kyle Shanahan wants to be off the play action. But that told you a little bit of what he felt about Matt Ryan. And, of course, they had Julio Jones and some different personnel. But if you look at year over year with how that's gone with Jimmy G, I told you it was 55% pass with Matt Ryan. Well, he comes in in 2018, first full year started with Jimmy G. They're 56%. They're right there with Matt Ryan. That's kind of how he might want to play. 2019 is 51%. 2020, it's 44%. Which way are we trending, right? We're sort of retracting a little bit here and saying, I don't know how this feels. Um, And for a variety of reasons. I mean, they've had injuries. He's been injured. But I think we can all see uh, that... We we know that he even said he liked Kirk Cousins as his top choice. Right. So... (laughs) Um, something's going to come there. They can get out of Jimmy G pretty easily. I don't know if they're going to trade for Kirk Cousins, but I think they got to do something. I think the retracting point you make is exactly right on. He's retracted his offense because of the lack of trust fully in Jimmy G. And now we're not saying Jimmy G's garbage, right? I mean, he no. is what he is. He's he's yeah. 15th, 17th, 19th, like you said, in your, in your tiers. And that's probably where he's at. But I don't know if there's ever going to be a top 10 there. My, my feeling is there's probably not. And it's going to be hard to make that last push in the final third with this kind of setup. The other thing is you mentioned the durability. That's legitimate. Durability is legitimate. These guys can't get hurt. They can't afford to have backups in the game more than they're in the game. And the third point on San Francisco's quarterbacks in general is they have had to play without him. So they now find out that Mullins and Beathard, the two backups, probably aren't 
you know, the answer in the long run either. So I think they will have had plenty of answers by the time the season is over. And frankly, I think Kyle will be tired of it. And and you will probably see the 49ers looking to draft a quarterback fairly high or, like you said, trade for uh, an accomplished one that knows his system uh, this offseason. Yep, absolutely. And remember, he got hurt in New England, too. Remember, he had to replace Brady for four games and didn't make it through the four games. So uh, definitely something to keep in mind. Let's Let's head over to the NFC North. I think uh, this was sort of an interesting conversation we started um, yesterday, but it's an interesting division. You got Green Bay, you know, and you got Chicago with good records, and, but not far behind Detroit and even Minnesota. I know they're two and five. They're probably not going to make the playoffs, but you and I looked at this division. It's, it's a little bit jumbled, and we were asking ourselves who would you rather be? The Bears or the Vikings? And I think for this season, the Bears at 5-3 and three are probably going to have a better record if you just look at the schedule than the Vikings at 2-5. and five. But let's zoom out a little bit. I think this is always a good exercise to play, um, looking at which teams may be in more favorable shape, just bigger picture-wise. And Randy, when what's the construct you look through when you evaluate two situations like this? Is there anything that you're going to first? Where do your eyes go first when you size up two teams? Well, I think two things that come to my mind, at least uh, uh, as a former GM, are, are one, your highest paid players cap-wise. What kind of situation do they put you in going forward? And then the biggest thing, in my opinion, is judge the decision makers. So I think you're talking about a GM, you're talking about a head coach, you're talking about the structure by which they use to build their team and then how they manage it during the season. And if and it's a great point. The Bears are at five and three and, and they probably will get into the playoffs just because they built themselves a little margin for error and we got to give them credit for that. The Vikings have no margin for error at two and five. But if you're asking me, I like the Minnesota setup for the long haul better because of the decision makers. And that's kind of, I mean, let's face it, it's a production-based business. And so it's hard to to talk bad about the Bears. But I think everybody has seen that there's just not a lot of faith there. There's not a lot of ingenuity there. There's not a lot of, uh, you know, I think it's more of an indictment really of, of Matt Nagy as the head coach because you're talking about quarterbacks there in most cases they have spent money defensively their their defense should be good because I think they've spent you know a giant proportion of their cap on defense and they have some good players but whether they play Mitch Trubisky or Nick Foles does it really matter I mean I don't to me it doesn't even matter I mean he didn't do things in my opinion to help Mitch Trubisky when he was playing offensively he didn't set things up to to use his skill set and I surely don't see him setting up things to help Nick Foles. And in the end, I think they're both, you know, probably below average quarterbacks. So he's not made them better. So I look at the decision makers. Uh, Ryan Pace, a young first time GM, has made some some, you know, calls along the way that you kind of shake your head at, whether it's letting Mike Davis go, the running back who is, you know, excelling in, in uh, Carolina or trading up and, and going all chips in for Trubisky and, you know, passing on the Mahomes and Watsons of the world, you know, so there's plenty to to chew on there in decision making. But if I'm going to size up a franchise, that's where I'm going to start really with the decision makers and the top players cap wise on each team. Yeah, I think there's a little there's quarterback questions in both places. I think for Chicago, uh, there's a huge one, right? I mean, we Mm -hmm. don't have our guy. And and in in Minnesota, you know, you can win with Kirk Cousins, uh, but you'd probably rather not to a point to a point. But you'd probably rather not 
be locked into that forever, which I don't think they necessarily are um, after this season. I like the offensive skill of Minnesota. I think that mm-hmm. at the receiver position, um, you know, we can debate whether they're paying too much for a running back, but good couple good, really good receivers. I think there's something to work with there. I agree with you um, on the coaching front. I feel like the Bears may be good, just good enough to keep Matt Nagy and sort of stay on the same course they're on where I don't feel like he's uh, ideally suited as the head coach, you know, you know what I mean? Right. Yeah. And, and you sort of see that in the way that he uh, addresses just publicly, talks about the team, the, 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 it almost feels, uh, I don't know if it's an insecurity, but there's a, he's on the defensive in a tough media market about his team at the most important area of the team. That's supposed to be his level of expertise, right? Every day, every day, it's the same thing. And, And they have not progressed in my opinion. What, what has he done to take him to the next level? Again, I'm not trying to kill Matt Nagy. I'm just saying the question is, who would you want to be long term, the Bears or the Vikings? I think it's a little bit of an indictment on Matt. He's got to find a way to to impose his will to make them better. That's for sure. I think that's what you're saying. Actually, they've gone from a team that had a run, had sort of a power running game, and then they wanted to uh, come in and run a Kansas City type of offense, and now. A couple years later, they can't run the Kansas City type offense, and they're not a good running team. So, right. what are they offensively? They really have have gotten worse. And you know, he had to, it wasn't like he had choices for a lot of head coaching jobs. I mean, they had already drafted Trubisky, so he probably would have not. He probably would like to have Aaron Rodgers instead, right? right. I mean, right. no uh, kidding. But or Pat Mahomes, but, yeah, <laughs> Mahomes. But you come into a situation. Has he been able to make it better offensively? Uh, no, I think Mike Zimmer certainly has over the years. This is a, a bit of a rebuild year for them on defense. Well, he's definitely built an identity. Mike Zimmer has built an identity. Now, they're without some key players on defense this year. You know, no Daniel Hunter, no Anthony Barr. You know, so their defense, I think, is is going to be okay for the long haul. Um, I just don't know the identity that, that Matt Nagy is going to bring and then what level he can take them. The head yep. coach has got to take you to higher levels, and that just hasn't happened in Chicago. Yeah, and I don't love everything about Zimmer either, but I lean yeah. towards Minnesota. I think you can win with Kirk Cousins if you have to. You may not be able to win big. Uh, you can get out of his deal uh, if you wanted to and have a lot of probably a lot of salary cap room. And you have some stars on offense, which I think it's a uh, it's an offensive league, right? And yep, and they've no got a nice uh, draft pick in Jefferson. They've got Thielen there. They've got a uh, running back who heck can make some real explosive runs and actually yep. carried him to to win against. Green Bay the other day. So a couple of interesting teams there. Um, trade deadline, Randy. Trade yeah. deadline this week, and it's been a little bit of a letdown. But I think we, we, we knew that this was a different year. Uh, let's talk about a, a handful of teams here that have made some moves um, that are under the radar. Because you don't have to look at some of the big trades in recent years, whether it was trading for Percy Harvin or some of these big names. Those don't always work out. Sometimes as a GM, it's the subtle move that isn't even a great player, but it's a, but it makes you better in a key way. And I think when we talk about good GMs, Kevin Colbert, Pittsburgh, what did you see there with a, with sort of an under the radar acquisition for them at the linebacker position? Yeah, I think you're right. I think they, in particular, uh, they go out and get the linebacker from the Jets who had started the last six games for, for the Jets and I think fits a position of need for them. A couple things people sometimes That's Avery, forget. just Avery Williamson, by the yeah, way. Yeah, yeah, Avery yeah. Williamson, I'm sorry. A couple things people forget when, when I read about all the buyers, sellers, trade deadline stuff, 
It's not baseball. Football is completely different. You can't trade for a guy, throw him in the lineup, and let him, you know, be the DH for the first week while he's figuring yep. things out. That, that, we don't have that position, okay? You've got to learn what you're doing. You've got to adapt to what that offense is, is doing, yep. defense is doing. So it takes a certain amount of time to, to learn uh, what's, what you're up against and, and what you're trying to do. So those trades, like you said, I think more don't work out than work out at this time because of that. And for years, we had very little trading at all. When the trade deadline was week six, I mean, there was, you know, you didn't even know your own team, so it was hard to do. Now they've lengthened the window out a little bit. But the other things that complicate things this year are the COVID um, protocols yep. and the cap going forward in 2021. Those are two issues where we're, we're assuming the cap's going to go down, and I totally agree with that. But at $175 million, you got teams already counting cap dollars for next year. Way more than ever before. Guys you are could, trying to get out of money as opposed yes. to add new money that you got to pay for cash no and cap. Yeah. yeah, no doubt. And we know that that cap savings this year carries over into next year. So I think teams are finding out that if I can save a little money this year and, and carry it into next year, it'll lessen the blow of me having to have a fire sale in February. So that with the, with the fact of the protocols that COVID has changed, you know, you're going to get a guy on a Tuesday, you can't play him for... 10 days till so he misses another week so you're really not getting him for eight weeks you're getting him for seven you know maybe if you if you have a buy you know before or after that figures into how much production you're going to get from this guy either so you know it's complicated the the trade deadline in a way but uh, I, I just think the the amount of time it takes for new players to come settle in is hard so you better have a, a pretty good feel for the players that you're getting I do think you can uh you can add elements, maybe more so than a particular player. Like, uh, for example, Cincinnati's rumored that, that uh, John Ross is a guy that might be out there. Well, we all know John Ross can run fast. He's the receiver from Washington that they picked in the first round. Somebody looking to spread the field, and, and even if they never throw John Ross the ball, a guy like him would help the Eagles because it's going to free up. It's going to, it's going to, they're going to have to defend them different if you have that kind of speed on the field. And that's something Carson Wentz could, could use. So I think there's some elements that players have specifically that could transfer to other teams and not have to wait for them to learn a system. I think a guy like John Ross, you could, and I'm not making a case that John Ross is the next Bob Hayes. I'm just saying he, he can run and that element is always in need if used the right way. Same like with a guy like David Njoku, the tight end from the Browns, who had rumored to be traded uh, this offseason. That ended up getting patched up. But it's still uh, a fact that he's up after this year, and they've already paid a couple other tight ends. So there's a good chance he's, he's going to be available. There's, there, there's, a, there's a weapon there that you could add on third downs in particular packages where he wouldn't have to hold know the whole offense. So yep. there's some ways you can fill in with guys that, that still make it make some sense to make deals. If you're a team like in Philadelphia or or even uh, like we said with with Pittsburgh or even Tennessee, a team that's on the verge of making a little run, you need to shore up your your lineup a little bit. And, and back to Pittsburgh, you know, with Avery Williamson, they they lost Devin Bush and yep. they put uh, Spillane in there and he gets a pick six the other day. And uh, you and I were talking about last night, it, it would have been easy to just say, yeah, look at this, guys, we put our backup in, he got yeah. the pick six, we're good. It's not really what happened. They no. <laughs> they are assessing their. T what are they seeing in Spillane? You know, yeah. the rest of the game wasn't always him dominating, right? That's right, and that's when a guy like you said, Kevin Colbert, who's obviously good at his job, uh, the fans see that Spillane ran a uh, pick six back, and and they think, yeah, we're set. We don't have to worry about it. Well, they ended up 
a little later in the game, in, in my view of the game, there were two or three plays that Spillane couldn't make that they would normally get made from that position. So I think that by getting Washington from the Jets, they're going to have a guy that can play uh, in that role more on a three-down three down, uh, window instead of just as a nickel linebacker. So you got to know your team. You got to know how the different increments are being used when you, when you do go out and get new bodies to come in. And that's a prime example of a team looking second level more than what we see on TV. Yep. One of the big uh, off-season signings in the last couple of years was Quan Alexander going to the 49ers. And unfortunately for him and them, um, while he did make an impact on the field when he was healthy, hasn't been healthy. And so they send him uh, to the Saints and people say, yeah, you know, if he's healthy, he's good. But he's not healthy and yeah. hasn't been healthy. How do you see that move impacting the Saints? Because they're in a very competitive race with uh, Tampa Bay. It's a different division now with Tom Brady in there <laughs> Yeah, for them. I, I think, uh, in my opinion, again, just my opinion and three bucks will get you a Starbucks right on any corner. Um, I think the Saints trading the linebacker, um, 49ers trading the linebacker, um, it's kind of a wash. It's hurt guy for hurt guy. It's making a deal for the sake of making a deal. It's making a deal, sending the message that we're trying uh, to be involved in every deal, which is fine. But I don't know that it affects either team, to be honest with you. Everybody's kind of hurt. Kiko Alonso has been traded four or five times now in, in his I six know. or seven year career. So, you know, I don't think either team is, is thinks they're giving up anything of value. It's more of a paper trade to, uh, again, to win the press conference, in my opinion. Yep, absolutely. Last one we wanted to talk about, I think, was Tennessee because Tennessee is giving up 61% conversions on third down. I went back into the archives, and that's through seven games. That's the highest in the league since at least 91. I couldn't even go back further than that. That's unbelievable. Joe Burrow going 10 of 15 on third down for Cincinnati, really one of the main reasons why uh, you know why the Bengals were able to upset the Titans. That's not just a problem. That's extreme. 60% of the time on third down, you're not going to win many games right. uh, for them. So they get uh, King, the corner from the Chargers. Randy, you were with the Chargers for 10 years, so you were there when they got him. What, what do we know about him, and how does he fit? Yeah, I think this is a good fit for Tennessee because, let's face it, they decided to let Logan Ryan go this offseason, and he later signed with the Giants. But for them, he was their nickel guy, kind of their glue guy back there, a good player. Um, did a lot of things for them on just what you said, third downs in sub packages, kind of as a blitzer, uh, could jam receivers, play the run as well. Well, they're getting that same guy in this King kid from Iowa who the Chargers drafted, I think, fifth or sixth round a few years ago. He actually made a Pro Bowl one year. But that's exactly what King is. He's he's a, a replacement for Logan Ryan and I think a glue guy for Tennessee and, and does make Tennessee better right away. And again, your numbers on third down, those are off the chain. They've got to do something to, to get better and get off the field on third down. This King kid can do help them do that. He's very instinctive. He's a little bit of a position um, lacking a, a true position. He's not really a corner because he's not super fast. He's not big enough to be an every down safety, but he is a very good nickel guy and a movable part in Vrabel's defense where he can do a lot of things probably more within the between the numbers than anything else, and that's the position they'll put him in. 
You know, it's too bad, really, Tennessee didn't go after Jadavian Clowney, right? That would have fixed their third down defense. <laughs> well, <laughs> I'll tell you what. Yeah, and I've heard a lot, of, a lot of people coming after Clowney a little bit, but Clowney was not a sacker in Seattle last year. What do you have? Three right. sacks last year all in Seattle. So yep. he's going to create some things for other people, but you're not going to see a lot of production on paper from Ladavian Clowney. And, and I haven't studied him these last few weeks. I don't know where his effort level is, but... Remember, he didn't always run hot with that motor he had, so he probably needs to find a way to, to make sure he's clicking on eight cylinders. Yeah, maybe down the stretch here, right? Because yeah. he'll be playing for <laughs> his deal time. next year. But he's <laughs> going to come up as a free agent with in a smaller cap and with now another year that's probably not going to look amazing for him. So yeah, I don't think that $15 million is going to be there next year, that's for sure. So Seattle actually comes out of that looking decently. I'd rather have Carlos Dunlap for the second half of the year, wouldn't you? Yeah, probably so. I think he's. I think Carlos Dunlap trade for Seattle gives them a vital tool that they use in their kind of multi-front scheme. He can play up, he can play down, and he, he's a good pass rusher. I think he'll help them uh, as an edge rusher more than anything, but Cincinnati moved him inside as well. So he's played everywhere, and I think that's the kind of guy Pete Carroll gets is a versatile guy. And, and you didn't I sound think, though overly excited when I said it. You weren't. You said, "Yeah, you know, well, yeah. Well, yeah." I mean, <laughs> so you're not thinking Carlos Dunlap's any of that. He's not changing. Is he just helping a little? Is he helping a lot? Well, it depends because you're talking about a guy again who the last couple of years hasn't been tuned up week in and week out. I mean, yep. especially against the run, I think there's some criticism to be had there that he didn't play quite as hard, especially this last year or so. And and I know Cincinnati hasn't been the, the garden spot where all these guys want to play, but he's a professional. He's get paid to do his job. And I always wonder when the effort wanes, what kind of character you're going to get when, when that's the case, when, when guys aren't giving you everything. And and I'm not saying he's uh, gone out there and laid down like a dog, but he's he has struggled to play the run at times and has found the easy way out from setting the edge and double teams and all that. So I guess maybe that Seattle uses him more uh, as a bells and whistles toy as a rusher, but he's just not complete. And so that's why you've yep. so sensed a little hesitation with me on Yeah, on and then lap. one other thing about just adding pass rushers in general, there's no crowd noise this year. So I think that affects all those guys. And we saw Yannick Ngakwe being traded a couple times now. Yep. You know, is the impact what you're hoping it's going to be? I think that's a big deal for these guys um, and really is Great affecting point. the pass rush. Uh, let's get into our picks segment, which is more fun when we do better than when we do poorly. But we're doing okay. I think we're doing okay. We both took Pittsburgh over Baltimore last week. I thought the wrong team was even maybe favored. Uh, so we came out good there. Uh, we went on different sides of the of the Raider-Cleveland game. I lucked out with the Raiders. You went with Cleveland. Um, and it ended up being a game that was 6-3 to three part of the way. Really could have gone either way. I mean, right. the first team to score a touchdown was going to win that game. Um I, I did the bonus pick with Kansas City. I couldn't pull you out there with those yeah. points, but um, that one worked out okay. They actually covered. That's a big number to cover. Yep. Going into this week, we found three games um, that are interesting. We have You and I haven't even talked about who we're going to pick on these, but Seattle's at Buffalo, and Seattle is favored by three. What are you going to do on that one? You know, I think, and people probably should check the numbers on this, but Seattle on the road in the Eastern time zone has been unbelievable the last few years. And again, I think the numbers bear that out, but they have done a great job of traveling long-term and playing productive football when they get there. And that's not easy to do for a West Coast team, having 
spent the majority of my time in the West Coast and, and, and traveling with teams, that's a struggle. So I'm, I think Seattle will go back there. The other thing is I go back to the quarterbacks, and, and I like Josh Allen. I like everything uh, for the most part about him. But when you put him up against a guy like Russell Wilson, it, it's an easy call for me. I think Seattle may have found a little magic with their defense last week in that they did blitz Jimmy Garoppolo. I think I read where they blitzed more last week against Jimmy than they had in any game for the last 10 years. They're going to have to do some of that with Josh Allen, too, to get him off his spot which isn't always the hardest thing to do because I think Josh wants to take off at a minute's notice. But I, I thought Buffalo's defense w- exposed itself a little bit last week in the New England game. They, they didn't uh, step up like I thought they would, and therefore I'm going to pick Seattle. I'm going to give the three points. I just think there's too many factors in Seattle's uh, column right now, and so I like Seattle and Pete Carroll and, and really the presumptive MVP, in my opinion, uh, Russell Wilson on the road this yep. week. I am too. I'm going to go with Seattle. You know, one thing I checked while you were speaking, there was just the weather there. Uh, Russell hasn't always played his best games in the rain. It's not a rainy day. It looks like seven mile an hour winds. It looks like the, you know, there's, you can see the sun through the clouds and in the little uh, graphic there. So uh, I'm with you on that. I just, I think that they're going to score a lot of points and uh, enough points to win by at least three um, for sure. Chicago at Tennessee, Tennessee by five and a half. I'm, I'm going to lean with Chicago. I, I just feel like there's enough question marks with Tennessee. I think Chicago's got a good defense. The ability to maybe make uh, Tennessee uncomfortable or not play to its strengths all the time. And I don't think Ryan Tannehill is as good as his stats have been uh, since he's been the starter there. And so I'll, I would take the five and a half. Yeah, I think the number's a little high for me, Tennessee at five and a half. I think... Maybe by week's end, we see that come back a little bit. But most of the public, I think, will end up siding with Tennessee because of the criticism that Chicago has had. And I've been wrong about Chicago two or three times this this year. I'm just factoring in the the Vrabel versus Nagy and and the the skill sets that their offensive coordinators on both sides have to use to, to, to be productive. I'm going to have to give the points and take Tennessee, and it kills me but because I think it's too many points. But I think by the end of the week, that's going to be bet down a little bit. And, and for me, I think Tennessee has got to kind of have a little shot in the arm here. they got to come back and show what they're worth after having a couple lackluster performances lately. Before this game against the Saints that the Bears lost in overtime, which really could have gone either way, yeah. um, uh, they had two losses this year, and they were against really good defenses. They were against the Rams and the Colts, and they scored 11 and 10 points in those games, and they weren't able to overcome it. I don't think Tennessee plays that type of defense. Yeah. So, um, look, I don't want to run to the bank and put any real <laughs> money on it, but I think that's where we, you know, are reasoning on that one. And I'll, I'll go. I'll take. I'll take those points for Chicago and take my chances with a good defense. Our last game. Baltimore at Indy. Baltimore's favored by three and a half. We sort of throw out the home field thing. It's not going to be a huge crowd making it tough to operate there. Um, this is just an interesting matchup for me because Rivers has two career games against Wink Martindale, the coordinator for Baltimore. He's averaged 4.9 yards per pass attempt, zero touchdowns, two interceptions. Uh, they went one and one because if you remember, one of those games was the game when the, he was with the Chargers, and they used all those DBs, and they yeah. really stymied uh, Lamar Jackson, remember, in that playoff yep. game with that defense. And so I think they could stymie him to, to some degree, too. Uh, you really have 
two quarterbacks who are a little bit one-dimensional in their own way, right? Yep. yep. Uh, now, Lamar True. can throw the ball, but it's off the run game. Yep. Um, so, I, as much as I have some skepticism about Baltimore, I, I may think they win by three and a half or more. Am I crazy? No, I, I'm going to side with you on it, to be honest with you. I think you're correct. And sometimes when I watch Baltimore, I think I'm watching Army or Navy. And it was really evident last week in the Steeler game. That <laughs> that the Steelers knew what they had to prepare for. They knew Baltimore's offense. There's no deception to it. And to be honest with you, the Steelers couldn't stop it. If they didn't turn the ball over at the end, I, I felt like Baltimore was going in to win the game. So preparing for this, yeah, preparing for this crazy Baltimore, not crazy, but it, yeah, that, it's different. that's style. It's style. And it's all about style. It's all about disciplined. It's about covering pitch guys and, and this RPO, you know, option yeah. offense, really. I just think it's hard. And I'm with you on Baltimore. I I, I, I keep thinking teams are going to find a way to keep and know where Lamar Jackson is. Well, they, they he is so dynamic, Mike, that I don't think they can put a plan together to keep him in the pocket. It's almost like he's he's better than the plan each week. And this is from a guy that's a very average NFL passer, but he's dynamic on his feet and can change the game a little bit uh, every time he touches a ball. So I'm with you. I'm, I'm probably going to take Baltimore and, and lean toward them. Uh, you know, I know. With Wink Martindale, with a combination, like you said, of their defense playing like it has against Phillip and the, the faith I have in their option offense, and it's crazy, but uh, I, I like Baltimore. I have to be careful because I, th- I I think I can make sometimes make every game that Baltimore plays be a referendum on him as a passer because yeah. that's no, what they're going right. to have to do in the playoffs. And so I actually came out of that game against Pittsburgh going, geez, they get the ball in the middle of the fourth quarter, they have a 10-play drive, and they don't let them throw the whole time. Well, your point is they didn't have to. No, and I they watched the game them. again. They ran it right down the throat. <laughs> I watched the game last night again, uh, and you're right. I mean, they just they're getting eight yards running, ten yards running. So you know, we can say that's a bad reflection on Lamar as a passer, but they just ran it. They did run it down their throats. Right. <laughs> the, the reaction that we got from the Steelers and their staff when they finally stopped them, and they really didn't stop them when when the Ravens turned it over, told me everything I needed to know. They were holding their you-know-whats the whole time, figuring out how are we going to stop Lamar Jackson. And they yeah. didn't do it in that last drive, like you said. Yeah, and and Indy has not been running the ball great. You know what I mean? No. I think Indy, Indy has a, a quarterback who should be good against the Blitz, but they don't have weapons that win quickly. Right. Right? They don't yeah. have – I don't think it's a Kansas City situation where they're going to hit 370 yarders and it's going to totally change the game. I think this is going to be a slug-it-out type game. And – Baltimore may uh, be able to do that. It, you know, maybe they win by more than the three and a half. Looking for an assist with your credit card, but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles. We win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. 
Learn more at marines.com. It's time for Ask the GM. Randy, it's that time. We're, we're at the Ask the GM segment. We've got a good question here from Marcus. Uh, thanks to everybody who submitted their questions on Twitter. we got a lot of good ones. Marcus asks, what will be the toughest thing NFL front offices have to overcome in prep for the draft with a lack of college football access on campus to scouts and NFL people and with FCS teams playing in the spring? It's a great question. I mean, I've even wondered in this trade trade deadline, who wants middle-round picks or late-round picks in these trades because you don't even know what you're getting, right? I mean, what is the challenge there? Good question from Marcus. Yeah, it's a great question. In fact, some of the things that made me think through ahead of time uh, that, that these NFL teams are having to face as well. The, the roadmap, the roadmap is untraveled. I mean, this is a, a crazy times as it has been for the last eight months. But, but this is a good question. I think the first thing is when is the draft going to be? Is the league going to move that draft date because of college football and the fact that FCS isn't really even playing until the spring? I think there's merit to maybe pushing it back a little bit so teams can gather all the information. You're definitely going to have to have a plan, uh, but it doesn't. You really can't start unless you know what. What when D-Day is, when you draft. I think that the, the obvious things are your lack of face-to-face, your lack of personal uh, engagements with a lot of the prospects is a struggle. The Zoom calls with staff members aren't the same. The same sharing of open thoughts aren't the same. I think aren't, aren't the same. I think you've got to le- lean on your veteran scouts for relationships at these colleges more so than ever before to get guys to uh, gather the correct character information, the intel on players' football IQs, and, and the stuff that you can't see always on film. That's valuable information, and I think it's going to take longer to get that information, uh, mainly because uh, teams are going to be busy at different times. Uh, we're going to go in college ball all the way really through December now, and, and you, you always had a little lull in the action in December in the past where you could gather some of this information before bowl games and before playoff stuff and all that. Well, you're not going to have that as much this year. And like like has been mentioned, the F- FCS teams playing in what's going to be, I guess, March, April, you're going to have no time after the conclusion of their seasons. I think the biggest issue teams are going to have, and it's really a league-wide thing, is the combine itself. How are we going to address the combine? Because the medical information is important. You're going to have to find a way, or the league is, to, to still get physical information, physical and medical information on these players. That's the most important thing that comes out of the Indy Combine every year. And I don't know how that's going to, uh, how that process is going to work. But, you know, that's crazy too. I think you're going to have to, when you prepare for your draft this year, you're going to have to stack your board in different increments of time. You're probably going to have to stack all the Division I players early in the process and then do the uh, FCS guys later on and kind of filter them together. I guess what I'm saying is a long answer, but uh, it, it's it's to be determined. I think it's a legitimate question. Teams are going to have to do it their own way, but I think a little bit of it is is to be determined uh, once we set the date of the draft. It's, it's crazy times without a doubt. Teams are going to be challenged to put together uh, their draft boards and the draft information in a shorter amount of time for sure, because normally you wouldn't be looking at players evaluating FCF players, FCS players in the springtime like you're going to have now. You know, they get so much information, Randy, through this process that it can almost sometimes it can be paralyzing, right? I mean, do you have to go back to your core evaluations? Because let's face it, all those, all those extra things that have become such a huge part of the process weren't 
as much a part of the process in 1985, right? I mean, they, yeah. they weren't, or were they? I mean, they weren't. Well, I think they were to a point, but I think your, your point is valid. You definitely have to rely on what you see on tape. I yeah. think you're going to have to also accept that you may make a mistake or two. Medically, medical information is yep. not going to be as prevalent. Character information, not going to be as prevalent. So you better make sure you're getting a good player on tape. And and it's hard to go wrong with that. But you're going to make a mistake or two that you normally wouldn't make just because of the whole COVID situation. Yep. And every other team is too. So it'll yeah, even that's out, right. But it'll it's be an a even tough, field. Yeah, yeah. It'll be a t- tough situation. So, hey, our time is up. Thanks, everybody, for coming along. Mike Sando here at Sando NFL. We got Randy Mueller at Randy Mueller underscore. Uh, Have a great week, everybody, and we will see you next time.